Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Friends, this is the message portion of the service when we open the scriptures and listen to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to us, the church. And so I'm going to read with you from Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 2 through 9. If you have your Bible, now's a great time to open it up and read along with me as I read. I'll be reading from the HarperCollins Study Bible that is my New Revised Standard Version. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. May God add his blessing to the reading and the understanding and the doing of his holy word. Friends, how many of you are familiar with the term empty nester? Empty nester, does that term ring a bell? Yeah, the empty nest is what happens when you raise your babies and the time comes for them to be launched out into the world to go to college or to go to work or to get married or to become a missionary or whatever it is, just so long as they leave, right? So long as they go. Actually, one of our life groups is called the Empty Nesters, and these are men and women who have uh, raised their kids, and the kids have left home, and they are meeting together to encourage one another and to figure out together what does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus in a challenging season of life. So there's this thing that happens when you become an empty nester. There's this moment, uh, maybe a series of moments, uh, when you turn and, and you look at your spouse and you, you, a person you've been with for what has been perhaps decades, and sitting there in the now quiet house, you, you look at this person and you ask yourself, do I even like this person anymore? Uh, sure, I love them, but uh, do we really have anything in common besides raising the babies? Because, you know, for the last 20 years, we've been focused on the kids and the work, and the 401k, and painting the dining room, and I'm not even sure if I know this person that well anymore. I've noticed that quarantine has had a sort of an empty nester effect on a lot of us. It's, it's given us a moment of pause, uh, maybe several moments, and a chance to think about our relationships. On the one hand, some of us have been uh, with the same people in the same house or the same neighborhood for a long, long time. Uh, on the other hand, some of us have been separated from people we love. For me, it's actually been some of both. I've been stuck with my wife and kids, and I mean that in the best way possible, by the way. I've been stuck with my wife and kids in our home, uh, and yet with my parents who live in Northern Virginia, I've been separated from mom and dad. It's not easy, is it, friends? It's not easy. On the one hand, we feel trapped or claustrophobic. On the other hand, we may feel isolated or alone. And I think it's tempting to say, hey, look at all the problems that the quarantine has caused. 
But I wonder, I wonder if the quarantine hasn't so much caused these problems as it has revealed them. I know that you know that a crisis has a way of bringing out, of uncovering our true identity, our, our true self, a way of exposing the problems that are just there under the surface. Last week, I suggested to you that most of the problems that we face, when we boil them down, are problems of relationship. From the micro-level issues of uh, that neighbor who annoys you to uh, the spouse that you're frustrated with, uh, to the macro-level issues of injustice and political division in our community and in our country. The problem is the same, uh, and that is our relationships are broken. Our relationships are broken. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, they are severely damaged. Now, this is a problem for everyone, friends, but it's particularly a problem for the people of God because this is not what God intended. Uh, This is not how God made our relationships. We have taken what God has entrusted to us and we've damaged it and we've neglected it and we've misunderstood it and we have mistreated it. And so we need help. Friends, today is the second week in our series. It's called Covenant Relationships. And during July, we're talking about just how broken our relationships are. This is an honest conversation, right, where we get honest with God and with ourselves about our need for healing and our need for reconciliation. And the good news is this, friends. We have access to the greatest power in existence, to the power of the Holy Spirit of God who can reconcile us to God and to each other through the grace of God of Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to recover our theology and practice of covenant. Covenant. The word covenant means promise. Covenant is the the nature of God's love for us. It's based on the idea that God promises to love us, to forgive us, to claim us, uh, to be our God in spite of our sin. And we know, friends, that we need God's help to do the same because we are not nearly as loving or as patient as God is. Have you noticed we sin against God all the time, and yet when someone sins against us, we're tempted just to drop them like a bad habit. These days, our relationships have deteriorated. And I want to suggest to you uh, some descriptions of how I see these relationships that we have in the world these days. Our relationships are transactional, they are self-serving, and they are disposable. Our relationships have become transactional, self-serving, and disposable. So let's start with the first idea. Our relationships are transactional. We uh, put into them only what we expect to get out of them. We say, you know, I'll do for you if you do for me. And instead of being deep and abiding, our relationships look a lot more like the exchange that you have with the cashier at Walmart, right? That, that moment of exchanging goods or services. Um, and we're not necessarily any better off as a result. And we're certainly not any more holy as a result of that transactional relationship. Our relationships are also self-serving. We're interested in what other people can do for us. 
We accuse politicians of this all the time, don't we? But we're all guilty. Uh, we surround ourselves with people who are like us, and, and we live in our, our little bubble of comfortability. And even with the people we hold most dear, when we say, I love you, let's be honest, sometimes what we mean is, you make me feel good about myself. Most troubling of all, friends, our relationships are disposable. They are disposable. My dad grew up on a farm in Indiana, and on the farm, when something breaks, you don't throw it away and go get a new one, right? What do you do? You fix it. You fix that one because it's the only one you have and maybe the only one you can afford and you need it to last. But I wonder if you've noticed in our culture, things have shifted away from that kind of farming mentality and toward a disposable way of being. Think about all the products that did not even exist a few decades ago that have become the norm in our society. Uh, these are things that are made specifically to be thrown away after a short use. Disposable diapers, disposable cameras, TV dinners, styrofoam cups, the list goes on and on. There's all kinds of things that are made but not made to last. Razors, software, even automobiles. And I can hear my grandfather saying, they don't make them like they used to, right? Yeah, we don't make things like we used to. They're not made to last. So we could ask the question, have these things made our lives easier? Maybe. Yeah, maybe they have. Is it worth it? That's a different question, isn't it? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The mantra of the 21st century consumerism has become, use it up and throw it away. This is so pervasive, I need you to get this. It's not just in the stuff we buy, it's how we live. It's how we navigate our whole lives. So it affects our work. And we say, well, my boss expects too much from me, so you know, I'll, I'll just quit. I'll just get a different job. And it affects our faith. And we say, you know, I don't like the way things are going in my church right now. I don't like the decisions that are being made, so I'm just going to go to church somewhere else. And it affects our families. And we say, well, you know, my marriage isn't working too good, so I think I'll just go get a new marriage. Now, please hear me, friends. Uh, I'm not picking on you. I, I realize there are circumstances in which we need to change jobs or we need to change churches. Uh, there are circumstances in which we need to leave a marriage. Uh, I'm not picking on you, but I'm saying this. We have got to stop treating these things so casually. The implications are enormous. Uh, there's so much at stake with this. Think about this. If it's that easy for us to walk away from a marriage, we would think nothing of walking away from a neighbor who's in need or from a political opponent in a difficult conversation. If we cannot be expected to be committed to even our own families, how are we going to be expected to be committed to our neighbors or even the strangers who are around us? Now, Jesus taught a lot about these things. Jesus talked a lot about human relationships, and he said all kinds of things like, love your neighbors. He said, pray for those who persecute you. He said, welcome the children. And one of the most important things that Jesus said about these relationships comes from Mark chapter 10 that we read at the beginning of the sermon. And as we get into the text, uh, friends, I want you to notice that it is into the world of disposable things intended to make our lives easier 
that Jesus speaks a word that actually may make our lives more difficult. Jesus' words cause us pain sometimes, don't they? Uh, And yet, like a surgeon's scalpel, they have the power to heal. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 2. Some Pharisees came, and, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. The teachings of Jesus are hard. The cost of discipleship is high, friends. It is so very high. Now, as we read this text, I'm very aware that some of you have been divorced. Uh, Some of us have considered being divorced. We have friends. We have siblings. We have parents who've been divorced. And the Bible is clear that there are at least two exceptions, two acceptable reasons for divorce. In Matthew 19, Jesus gives an exception in the case of adultery. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives an exception when an unbelieving spouse leaves the marriage. As a pastor, uh, I would say to you that I counsel people who are in an abusive relationship. You do not have to be obligated to be someone's punching bag, physically or verbally or otherwise. But here's what I need you to see in Mark 10. Jesus is talking about much more than just divorce. If we read this passage and we say, oh, Jesus doesn't like divorce, and then we go on about our day, we have missed the bigger truth, the capital T truth of this passage. Jesus is teaching about the character of our human relationships, about where they come from, about why they matter, and about how they've gone wrong. So some Pharisees came to Jesus. They tried to trap him by pitting the words of Jesus against the words of Moses. Of course, Jesus is too smart for that. Uh, He isn't going to fall for their trap. So he says in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. Okay, so do you see this? The problem, friends, is not merely divorce. Uh, The problem is the hardness of our hearts. And so all the single people and all the married people who we are tempted to to point fingers at those who've been divorced, not so fast, (laughs) not so fast. Plenty of married people are in unhealthy relationships. You know that, don't you? Plenty of single people do not love their neighbors the way they should. The problem is not just divorce, friends. The problem is our hearts have been hardened toward the people that God has put into our lives. And so to make his point, Jesus invokes the creation story. Verse 6, But from the beginning, Jesus said, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus reminds us that our relationships are built into creation itself. God made us male and female. God designed us so that two can become one. God has ordered the world in such a way that our lives are inextricably linked 
with one another, friends. You know, like it or not, emotionally, spiritually, physically, we are all up in one another's lives. That is how God made us. That's how God made us. We share victories. We share adversities. God has joined all of us together in the human family, which means, get this, which means human relationships are not a human creation. Marriage is not a human invention. Family is not my idea, and it's not your idea. The the people who live in our neighborhood are not people we have made. These things are God's creation. These people are God's creation. God made marriages. God made families. God made neighborhoods. And so when we neglect the things that God has made, we're not just sinning against people. We're sinning against God. Get your head around that for a second. I need you, I need you to get this. Divorce is not just about a husband and a wife. Family brokenness does not only concern that family. Racial injustices does not only do harm to people of color. These things are an affront to the living God. Let me give you an example. Let's say you enjoy painting. And let's say you paint a picture for me. And you put your heart and your soul into it. And you use all kinds of beautiful colors. And you say, oh, I just know Pastor Brad is going to appreciate this and see the beauty in this. And with all kinds of devotion and tenderness, you paint the painting and then you give it to me. And what if I take that painting and I smash it over my knee and then I throw it in the fireplace? Do I not, in harming the painting, also do some kind of harm to you? Do I not, in harming the painting, also do some kind of harm to our relationship? Yeah, because it's something you made. Because it's something you gave me out of your love for me. And you're going to think twice before you do it again, aren't you? And so it is with us and God. When we threaten to destroy the things God has made, we insult God himself. All of human history is blemished with all the ways that humans have torn down what God has built, with all the ways that we have damaged what God has made. So every wedding that I do, we give this reminder. Those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. Friends, there's a reason that we refer to the wedding as the marriage covenant service. A marriage is a covenant, much like God made with Abraham and with all of Israel. Marriage, family, friendships, neighbor relationships, all of these things are made possible by the covenant. Now, the covenant goes all the way back to the beginning. And Jesus invoked this idea, right, in talking about our relationships. All the way back to the creation in which God made us for relationship with each other. And right there in Genesis, God is establishing his people Israel through the covenant with the patriarch and the matriarch, Abraham and Sarah. And so go with me to Genesis chapter 17, back in the beginning, as God is establishing his people Israel. Verse 4. As for me, God says, this is my covenant with you. 
No longer shall your name be Abram, but Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Okay, this is God's promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And by extension, right, this is God's grace to all of the people God has made. So God is saying these words to Abraham and to Sarah, but God intends this promise not just for them. It's not for them to be kept as a possession, but to be shared with the whole community of the people of God. Remember the critique that we made about our human relationships. They have become transactional. But I want you to notice the covenant is transformational. Our relationships have become self-serving. But notice the covenant is self-giving. Our relationships have become disposable. But notice the covenant is everlasting. Okay, so the covenant is transformational. That means it changes us. God changes Abram's name to Abraham. And Abraham literally means father of many. So Abraham now has a purpose to be the ancestor of a great nation, to bear fruit with his wife, Sarah, to bring forth a community for God. The covenant is transformational. Notice the covenant is also self-giving. God will do for Abraham what Abraham cannot do for himself, particularly to give him children. Do you know this story? Do you know how old Abraham and Sarah were? They were in their 90s. And they're having babies. That's what God can do. Okay? And so not only will God give them children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, God will also give them a home, the promised land. And and notice, as you read through that story, the self-giving of God calls forth the self-giving of Abraham and Sarah, who give themselves to begin this new nation. Finally, notice, friends, the covenant is everlasting. It says right there in the scripture, it is an everlasting covenant. This is not temporary. This is not disposable. This is from one generation to the next, to the next, to all the offspring who are the children of God. And we are reminded that God's promises are forever. Only God can heal our hardened hearts, friends. Only God can restore our broken covenants. Now, with this word covenant ringing in your ear, I want you to remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Jesus ate bread and broke it with his disciples, and then he took a cup of wine, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. This is the promise of the salvation of God that is sealed with the blood of Christ. The covenant that God made with Abraham and Sarah is now ratified and solidified in Jesus. So imagine with me for a moment. Imagine how different our world would be if the disciples of Jesus, and this wouldn't even take everybody in the world, if just the disciples of Jesus would live a cross-shaped life. 
If the disciples of Jesus followed him so closely that our words and our actions and our attitudes were just like his, if we continually lifted up and drank from the cup of the new covenant, if we took ourselves less seriously and if we took the promises of God more seriously, imagine if we did that. Imagine if we did that in the United States right now. The whole world would begin to shift. The whole world would begin to change. Creation would look more and more like what God intended it to be. Our relationships would be healed. There would be reconciliation. And there would be justice. And there would be peace. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God who delivered Israel out of slavery and who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember your covenant with us. Heal our hearts. Bless our families and our neighborhoods. Give us power to keep our promises to each other, even as you have been faithful to us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.